Hey guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Aimed in towards Archer! That's a fabulous header! Once again, the target's banished the flick on. Gather Round Villains and welcome back to Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by underagaslitlamp.com. It's the hope that kills you, as us Villa fans know all too well, and we'll be dissecting a disappointing afternoon at Villa Park to end Emery's impressive recent run. Plus, we'll look ahead to the visit of Not Guilty, Your Honour City on Super Sunday this weekend. I'm Andy, your host, and today I'm joined by Dan. Hiya, Andy. Long time no see. Uh, Hiya, listener. (laughs) Uh, I'm looking forward to to discussing a a, a disappointing result, but not a terrible one, and and kind of glad that the podcast's financials haven't been aired by the Premier League, otherwise we'd be in for a points deduction too. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Yeah, no, it was good to to catch up on on Saturday. Um, We had a few a few points in the uh, Aston Tavern before the game, and and obviously um, we met for some chips at half time, which was very nice as well, much needed. So uh, yeah, it's great, great, great to catch up. How how did you find the uh, the experience of uh, being back in the Holt End after about a year? Oh, it was great. A long, long time coming, but it's. It... I kind of joked on social media that it was a great afternoon spoiled by some football, and I stand by it. Everyone met some really good people, had a good laugh. Watch some entertaining football. It's just a shame about the result. Yeah, another six goals. It was um, six goals last year, wasn't it? So, you know, <laughs> I don't know if that makes me a lucky charm or not. I think it's just it's always an entertaining game when I go down. That's it. But I'm sure next yeah. time it'll be a drab nil nil, or I'd take a drab nil nil. To be honest with you. <laughs> yes. Well, if it's six goals, let's hope it's uh, it's more the other way because it was a it was a, it was a disappointing result to say the least. Um, on Saturday, 3 p.m. kickoff, um, which is was was nice. It was uh, it, it was um, unusual and, and a nice change. Um, the team was pretty much as, as expected. The only the only interesting selection really was Luca Dean coming in at left back um, after his injury. John McGinn returned to the bench, and and John Duran um, made his first appearance also from the bench. Um, there was a sense that the the team has sort of been picking itself in in recent weeks, and this this was no exception, really. Do you think, in retrospect, retrospect, it it was it was the right right call, or could we have done something different here? I mean, I don't know if we've got the players to do something different, which is something we discussed at length last week. But no, I don't think it was anything wrong with the lineup. I mean, it's easy to look back on it and pick holes in what Emery did, but. Let's remember we were a team on form going into this game. Confidence was high, maybe a little too high, in fact. And and I just think it's a game where individual errors told. I was very surprised to see Luca Dean start, though. And I know we'll come on to him a bit later, but he's been out for a little while, and um, and he looked like he'd been out for a little while. I think he was a little bit ring rusty. 
Yeah, uh, he, he he did sort of struggle again. His best work, I thought, was was going forward. But we'll, you know, we will we will talk a bit more about about Luca Dean going forward. I just think with the team, sometimes I know. You see, you know, I don't want to question the manager at all because he's 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 been absolutely brilliant since he came in. Um, I'm someone who likes team changes. I like to see a little bit of rotation. Um, and freshening up for for each game, really, and I just wonder whether we're back in a position, really, where we we perhaps haven't got the got the options that we had even even sort of earlier in the season, where you sort of felt there was a few positions up for grabs, and 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 the team could be sort of changed around a little bit without affecting it too much. But you know, um, those those options seem seem lesser now. Um, yeah, and maybe with 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 McGinn coming back as well, and you know possibly uh, John Duran, who certainly looked lively when he came on. Uh, maybe there are some some selection headaches coming yeah, up for Emery. I think you're right. I think if McGinn, and I think it was telling that that McGinn didn't really get on and, and get the minutes. I think if he'd have been fit, I wouldn't have been surprised to see him start instead of Jacob Ramsey, who who again had a quiet game and was hooked early and. Um, and I think it's the kind of game we we miss someone a bit nasty in the team this game. We got a little bit bullied by Leicester, I thought, at times. And and I think it's the kind of game that's tailor-made for McGinn. And we could have really done with his energy out there. But I think it's maybe just telling her the fitness. I think he's he's not fit. Luca Dean didn't look fit. But, I mean, at least some players came off the bench and, and looked good. As you say, John Duran, I thought, was had a very good little cameo. And I was pleased to see he... He looks like he's not out of his depth in the Premier League, and and I even talked about him potentially starting, and and I think he showed that he's maybe ready to start. So, I mean, there's definitely positives to take out the game, or at least that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to be captain positive now. Yeah, and we, we will we will get onto um, the positive straight away, really, because it was a fast start by Villa. Um, they scored after nine minutes. Uh, Bailey and Buendia combining before. Buendia unleashed a thunderous shot from from the edge of the box, which came back off the bar. And Ollie Watkins showing his 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 Van Nistelrooy like instincts, I thought, to to get there first and and finish with the outside of his boot. Um, it was a, a really great sign with the attacking players causing causing the damage in the final third, which we've been crying out for really. Um, Watkins then also provided the cross come shot, which Harry Suter marked his Leicester debut with an own goal, um, and generally put in an, an excellent performance, uh, despite the team kind of faltering a little bit um, in various at various times. Um, that's that's two goals in or con- goals sorry in con- consecutive games for for Ollie Watkins, who seems to be. Um, and whisper it quietly again, Dan. But he seems to be uh, stepping up uh, since the departure of, of Danny Ings. Yeah, I mean, Ollie Watkins, I thought was our, our best player against Leicester. I I missed the first goal. I must admit, I was kind of, I can't remember what I was concentrating on. And all of a sudden, I found myself bouncing up and down, and and in the embrace of the Villa fan next to me. So, uh, but I went home, watched it, and it was it was a lovely finish. I mean, fair play to him to be alert to get in there. 
But the ball was high. He managed to get his foot to it and just nudge it over the keeper. It was a lovely little flick of the boot. And for a striker who gets criticised for his technique and maybe his finishing ability quite a lot, I thought it was an absolutely joyous finish. And and to be fair, I mean, I, I know it was an own goal, but I think that goal was all he's in the making, the second one too. He, he ran that channel so well and really put Leicester under. And you're right, he's come alive since selling Danny Ings. And, and I think that sign-in coincided with his form dipping off as well so it's kind of no surprise to see his form lifting back up when when his competition up front goes um the one thing i would say and i did say i'd be positive watkins upturn and form is fantastic but we've become dare i say reliant on him for goals it seems to be if, if ollie doesn't score the goals aren't happening and look it's not a bad thing to have a striker in form but i just i think it's another game that showed we maybe need need another kind of quiver to to attack with and another route of attack because because for all of his fantastic work Ollie Watkins I felt like they they shut him down a little bit more second half yeah that's the that's probably the issue isn't it with with um with having that focal point um it, it perhaps is easy and it's easy to sort of telegraph it really and particularly with with Bailey I thought they you know they 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 had Bailey figured out from apart from that first that first sort of move that led to the goal they pretty much had him figured out they were letting him run and then just taking the ball off him which uh you know obviously it's very frustrating you you know you want to see um exciting players like that kind of skinning their defenders and and so on but um he just couldn't really couldn't really make any headway um towards in the in you know at the Leicester back line at all and and it was kind of Ollie Watkins who was the main the main threat. I thought I did think Buendia had a had a reasonable game. He was obviously unlucky. I think we'd have in some ways we'd have preferred his shot to go in because it would have been absolute an absolute belter. He hit about um, twice, didn't he, in uh, that game? One is uh, the one was a long shot, and then did he get a header? And he hit the bar or something. Yes, he did. Well, yeah, so. header from a corner. Yeah, um, which was sim- not dissimilar to his his goal at Everton. Um, Last season, which was which was a lovely um, header from a corner, um, you know, and and it's good to see Villa trying these things, isn't it? And you know, didn't didn't quite come off on that occasion, but you know, so close really. Um, but on Ollie Watkins, I just um, I was just really impressed with that the way he took that goal. It's just it's just kind of and the anticipation, which has maybe not been there. Um, all the way along with with Watkins, I think possibly that's that's kind of been his problem. You know, is is he's not alert enough to get to get on the end of those things and uh, just to get ahead of their defender. And we've seen, um, you know, two weeks ago at Southampton, you know, really kind of getting ahead of his defender to 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 score the goal there. And then here, you know, no one was getting that to that ball before him, and he, and he took it away really nicely. I think an Ollie Watkins six months ago doesn't get onto that. He doesn't. He doesn't follow it in, and he doesn't. He doesn't get to it. Um, but it was a. It was a. It was an excellent finish, and he. He kind of deserved the brace, really. I thought um, he was. He was obviously. You know the book. It's not going in, is it? Um, it's a clear own goal, but you know that's his goal, really, um, to all intents and purposes for the second one. Um, but I thought. I just think it's exciting when we. And I don't know. We've been here a couple of times in the last couple of years, where we thought, "Here we go, Ollie Watkins is gonna, is gonna go on a streak here." And um, 
it, it just hasn't materialised. But I just wonder whether now um, he knows his first choice. He knows he's he's um, the main man, and I just wonder if it'll just boost his confidence and he'll kick on and 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 get a decent total now this season. I think he might, you know, and and as you say, kind of those predatory instincts from him, we haven't seen enough. It's always been the weakness to his game. He's got every other attribute you could look for in a striker, kind of pace, power, tenacity. He's got it all, but he just doesn't have the killer instinct. But that first goal, especially, he had no right to get to. He has no right to score that goal, yet he he gets there. And it's interesting what you say about confidence, because I think his strike partner, Leon Bailey, shows you the, the antithesis of that, what happens when you have no confidence. I mean, I've been... I've tried to be positive about Leon Bailey, but I was so frustrated on Saturday watching him play. It it felt like a stiff breeze could have knocked him off the ball. He was he was down on the ground, complaining, arms up in the air. And you're right, Leicester had his number the whole day long. And I think that almost makes Watkins' performance that much more impressive because he did it on his own, essentially. He wasn't a lone striker, but he played essentially like one because his support was so bad. And and that's that's the thing. I'm hoping that we can see a similar reversal in fortunes for Leon Bailey because it's, it, as we know, his, his Villa career has been stop-start, but he's had a run in the team now and he he seems to be getting worse, not better. And I think the weekend kind of made me for the first time question if he has a future in his Villa side or not. Yeah, I think I think it will be, it will be one of those things. He's such a talented player and he's so exciting in full flow, isn't he? And we have seen it. We've seen it quite a bit this season. I don't think it's been, it's been. I think he's had possibly more good games than bad games overall. Maybe um, he certainly scored some goals. He scored some important goals. Um, scored one obviously important goal against uh, Sunday's opponents, uh, Man City, earlier in the season. Um, and he's he's looked dangerous, but. Yeah, there is that question mark, and obviously with Bertrand Triore coming back, who we know Emery is a is a fan of and has watched him, and you know, obviously wanted him back in the building. Um, you just wonder whether Bailey's going to find that competition a bit a bit too much, maybe. But maybe that'll be a good thing. Maybe he does need a little bit of a breather as well, and and just to take stock and 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 come back stronger, and maybe. Some 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 cameos off the bench might might do him good. I think taking him out of firing line could do him good now. But I think it's I think it's telling that we've not seen him wide either. And I think it's if Emery doesn't see him as a wide player, which is his natural position, and he's clearly not really performing as that second striker. That's what makes me worry. I just don't see what his role in this team is going to be going forwards. If especially if, as we expect, uh, another striker comes in in, in the summer and, and that's his place gone in the team, essentially. You'd, you'd naturally think he'd revert to, to maybe right wing or left wing, but he's just not he's not performed. I think the only times he's consistently performed was was those two games when Aaron Danks was in charge and he played he played on the wing and it was a very structured approach. But I just think he, he maybe doesn't fit in with Emery because of the, the physical side of things that Emery demands. And you're right, that's where I think Traore's got the edge on him. He's a bit of a unit, Bertrand, and he's kind of, for all his silky skills and unpredictability, he can put himself around a little bit too. Yeah, and there's, there's also the, the the fact that um, before McGinn got injured, he was kind of playing on that right side as well, wasn't he? And um, whether Emery kind of feels that he wants to do that again with McGinn, 
which was really effective because he could tuck in and help help those the midfield too. And I think we've really missed that. Actually, um, we'll talk about the, uh, the, the 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 sort of um, mistakes that are happening in midfield um, in a, in a little bit. But um, that's another thing that he, you know that change. If he if he on the odd games where he goes back to to a more box midfield rather than a using wide, you know the wingers as such the the out and out winger, um, Bailey obviously won't be won't be part of that will he? So um, that's another another thing really. That's and that's why he was if he could have nailed down that second striker role, he would have he would have his place in the team no problem. I think you're right there, and I think it's. You know, four four two kind of went out of fashion a bit because people started playing free in midfield, and and it became very easy to outnumber players in midfield when it's two versus three. There's an obvious disconnect there, but I think Emery gets around that by having a midfielder out wide, whether it's Shaker Ramsey, whether it's John McGinn. We've seen him have it, and then they tuck him from the wing and almost creates that free for us when we're in possession and and counterbalances some of the problems of having a two, but. Yeah, I just don't. I can't see Bailey doing that. And I think when you're playing Buendia on the other side, who's who's not a luxury player, but but more of that flair player going forward, so you don't really want him kind of in in the centre of the park throwing himself around. So I think that's. I think you're right. I think that is John McGinn's place to lose going forwards because much as as I've criticised John McGinn this year, I think he's played his best football on the right wing for us, bizarrely, which I think if (laughs) if you'd have told us at the start of the season that John McGinn would be most effective at right wing, we'd have laughed at ourselves. But I think that could well be his his position going forwards. And it gives us the left wing then to play whoever we want, safe in the knowledge that they could be as airy-fairy as we want them to be. We've, We've got a bit of cover with McGinn tucking in from the other side. Well, thirty years ago, of course, Dan McGinn's number McGinn's number seven, isn't he? He'd have been a right winger. That, mm-hmm. That's uh, it's almost like it was meant to be <laughs> when Brucey gave him that number when he signed all those years ago. He knew it was going to be he was going to end up on that right wing. <laughs> we, this could be a long detour, so I probably shouldn't take us down it. But I do wish that we still had numbers in the right positions. It's yeah. a bit old fashioned of me. I was looking at the squad today and remembered that Diego Carlos is number three, and it just—it's it, just horrible to look at. It just feels wrong. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I wish we could just have old school numbering and that just be a rule the Premier League come down with. Yeah, Dean Smith tried to do it, didn't they? He tried to he give did, players yeah. the uh, the correct number for their position, but it all went wrong. Um, and uh, then you end up with Kamara with forty four and. Um, yeah, well, numbers all over the place these days, aren't they? But you know, yeah, it'd be nice, wouldn't it, to have a, a one to eleven team again? But there we go. I don't think it'll ever happen. We sound like old men shouting at clouds. <laughs> We're just kind of the modern game has passed us by, Andy. Yeah, well, it certainly has me. I don't know about you, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was um, short-lived. Short-lived um, uh, lead on. You know, it, Twice really. Um, story of the game was Villa's over generous defending, starting with a, a calamity involving M- Martinez and, and Camp Kamara, who contrived to let Madison in for the Leicester equaliser on, on 12 minutes. Um, it's not the first time, of course, that the, the, the Villa midfielders have been caught in this position, leading to goals. Um, Douglas Louise, of course, at Brighton 
very similar and and uh, Dendonka versus Stevenage, um, which led to the penalty. Very similar situations, receiving the ball, you know, on the edge of their own box and sort of not being able to turn out of trouble or lay the ball off. Um, I mean, what 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 keeps going wrong here, and 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 why aren't the players and the coaches able to fix this problem? I think they will be able to fix it given time. I, I think I said after the, the goal we gave away at Brighton that Villa fans should expect to see this a few more times this season. And and I'm probably going to say now you can expect to see it a few more times before <laughs> the end of the season. It's, we're changing fundamentally the way we, we've played for a long, long time as a team. And I was trying to think of an analogy for it. And the best I could come up with is, is say you're, you're going on holiday to Spain or something and you pick up you know, a few words, you can order a couple of beers, you can ask where the toilets are, you can probably get by. But if someone stops you and asks you where a town hall is or asks to have a conversation with you, you're going to suddenly panic and not know what to do. But, you know, give it give it a few months and you might be able to hold that conversation. And, and that's probably a really tortured ana- analogy to basically say, we're learning, we're learning on the job. We can speak a few words, we can play it out the back a little bit at the moment, but we're not fluent at playing it out the back. So we're obviously going to make a few mistakes. And I mean, Brighton are a good comparison for this. Brighton were hopeless playing out from the back when Graham Potter first took charge and every pundit worth their salt was saying that they absolutely have to stop playing out from the back. It's calamitous. They're only going to see concede goals. And look at them now. They're one of the best teams for, for keeping possession from the goalkeeper. They know how to beat a press and they get goals because of it. And and ultimately, that's where we want Villa to be. And, and it will take its time. It's it's a completely new way of playing for, for both centre-backs, really. And, and I think both midfielders, too. Although Kamara's got a bit bit in the tank of doing it at Marseille. But, um, yeah, I, I just think it's one of those things that we've got to be patient as fans. And, and I think Emery kind of alluded to that after the game. He said that he's not going to change the way we play. We're going to keep doing this because the benefits outweigh the the negatives. But it is a funny one, and you only pick this up at the game, and the nerves in the crowd every time we play out from the back. Clearly, as fans, we're not used to it yet either. And you can feel that tension every time it happens. But honestly, this time next year, I don't think we'll be talking about these problems. They'll have gone away with with extra bits of coaching and a, another six months. We'll, we'll be fluid in playing it out from the back. Yeah, I think that's 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 the main thing, and there's been quite a debate, hasn't there? Really, not just this weekend, but but um, you know, for for a while, really, on Twitter about and and amongst the fan base, not just on Twitter, but about this this problem. And I think I think the issue that fans see is giving away goals and directly giving away goals because of this. Um, it makes you think, well, why are they doing it? You know, if you if you launch the ball forward, you can't, you can't, you're not giving away those goals. But of course, it's what happens after you launch the ball forward when you lose the ball, inevitably, because it's harder to keep possession um, when you do that. But I mean, I mean, what what's the for, for you in terms of this this playing out from the back? When it works well, what what are the benefits of it? Do you think what why do People, the top coaches, the top players and managers, uh, why they're so keen to take the, these risks in their own penalty area, as we see, we see them as risks. Why are they? Why are they so keen to keep doing it, even if it means conceding the odd goal with a, with a mistake? Uh, 
You're right in mentioning the top teams doing it because the top teams do it. There's not a single top team that doesn't play out from the back. Um, there's a few benefits. One is if you're pumping the ball up long, you've basically got a 50-50 that it's going to come straight back at you. There's there's no control. You're, you're tossing a coin to see who wins possession. And and it's not rugby anymore. It's football. It's about keeping the ball. And, and if you keep the ball, you maintain control of the game. You you it's ironic because we conceded doing it at the weekend, but you don't concede if you've got the ball. Like it's if you're a good team that knows how to hold on to the ball, you're not going to concede goals. It's it's where Pep Guardiola comes in. He's he's probably the most defensive manager in the Premier League because he keeps the ball so much and and the opposition can't score if you do that. But but Emery's way of doing it's slightly different. We saw it at, at Villarreal and and similarly at Arsenal. He likes to suck the opposition in. He deliberately wants us to play dangerously around the block around our box, sorry, because it sucks the opposition in. And then if you're good enough, you break through that press and you've instantly got a counter-attack on the other end. It's like a man-made counter-attack. You're not sitting deep waiting for it. You're creating it for yourself. And I think that's that's going to be what he wants to do. It's been his blueprint at other clubs. But it takes some time to get used to that. It it takes time to get used to playing the ball in those areas under pressure and and it's almost what he wants to do is it for it to become muscle memory for the players. They get the ball, they know exactly where the teammates will be, they know which pass to make, but they just don't know that yet, and, and it will take time. I mean, it, it's tough. I mean, it, we've all been on football pitches and someone charges us down on the ball, and I don't know about you, but I instantly panic and hoof it into row Z or worse, and it's, you know, they're professional footballers, so they shouldn't be like that, but, I mean, Tyrone Mings hasn't played it out from the back really before, Ezri Konsa hasn't. And I think they're going to take time. I mean, Martinez certainly has them. And I think if anyone needs criticising at the weekend, it's maybe him for, for not going a bit longer when, when he needed to. But there are countless benefits to doing it. As I say, there's, there's a reason why the top teams do it. And if we don't do it, we won't progress. That's The simple fact is, if we keep pumping it long and hoping Ollie Watkins scraps around for it and holds on to it, we are not going to progress as a team. Not unless we bring John Carew back or something. It's, there is no future for us playing that way. If we want to rise up the table, get into Europe, we're going to have to get used to playing this way. And, and as fans, we've got a role to play. If if we convey positivity to the to the players on the pitch, then then it will happen. And as I say, Brighton's the prime example of it. They're, they were so nervy playing it out from the back at first. The crowd were on their back. But these days, it's their bread and butter, and, and the fans are just comfortable doing with it as much as the players are comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned um, you mentioned Mings and Konza there, and of course, you know, as I say, the three sort of headline occasions, I suppose, where it's ha- where it's happened and we've conceded from it hasn't been them, has it? Mm. It's been the midfielder dropping in to receive the ball from the goalkeeper and then getting caught. Um, I was talking to, to to someone about this, and they they were. The sort of saying this, it's not because, you know, it's because almost Villa switch off in in some occasions, and the reason for that is because the opposition don't always press. Mm-hmm. So Leicester were picking their time to press; they weren't pressing consistently like some teams do. They press all the time. It was very much they were picking their opportunities and and catching Villa out and. And obviously that's what happened with this Stevenage one as well. Um, maybe not Brighton so much. That was very early in the game. But, you know, it's that kind of... It's that almost that idea of 
it's that alertness, isn't it? Okay, they're not pressing us, but they might press us. So we have to make sure we go through the same the same process as if we are under pressure sort of thing. And hats off to James Madison, who I thought smartly picked up the right times to press. I mean, that second goal was all in his making. And and you're right, the defenders don't play it out. The, the Emery tactic is to almost create a diamond at the back between the goalkeeper, the centre-backs, and, and one of the, the midfielders. And you give the ball to, to that midfielder because then he's got options. He can either turn and get it up the pitch or he can lay it off to either centre-back and goalkeeper. And I think the mistake that, that Bubakar Kamara made on that goal was he held on to it for too long. The, the best midfielders in that position, your, your Rodri's or, or whoever, get the ball and instantly pass it around the corner or instantly lay it back. And I think he held on to it for a bit too long. And, and we actually saw him do that earlier in the season too, not from a goal kick, but but we saw him get robbed of possession in our own half holding on to it. And it's it's an age thing more than anything. He's literally just turned 23 and he's he's a young lad. He will learn this. This will kind of be stored away in his brain somewhere and he won't make this mistake again. I know it, me mentioning Rodri there, I mean, Man City are the best proponents of doing this. They got caught out at the weekend. It's where the Spurs goal came from, is them playing it out from the back. It's it's high risk, high reward. And and I bet if we went back through many of the goals since Emery came in, you could probably start them with a goal kick and, and the way we've controlled the ball coming out of there. So so I think as fans, we need to realise it's risky, but the end result is a goal. It's not just fannying around at the back with it. <laughs> Yeah, and just I mean, obviously, we, there's the there's we don't want to I don't want to dwell too much on going through the the Leicester goals, but the third goal was was interesting as well because that was kind of Kamara losing possession as well, wasn't it? More you know higher up the pitch, but that created the obviously Villa were out 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 of position then, and and um, the 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 lad the the right winger forgetting his name forgot his name now. Uh, but, Tete, uh, I think it was. T- Tete, for yeah. New signing looks looks really really dangerous. Um, took the goal really really well, um, but that again was was kind of Kamara in possession. And I don't, uh, you know, Kamara's been excellent and Douglas Louise has been excellent. But I wonder if there is a case that maybe um, at times they're going to struggle as a two in there, you know, and whether Ivan McGinn, as we said earlier, playing in that on that right hand side and. And, and, and cutting in to help them or maybe even playing Dendonka behind them might be might be an option. I don't know what what, what you think in, in certain games, you know. No, I agree. I think they need help sometimes. And I think this is probably Kamara's worst game in a Villa shirt by quite some margin. It's kind of ironic in the week where everyone's been talking him up that, that he kind of has his worst performance in a Villa shirt. And, and maybe that is because of the press. Maybe Leicester have been reading it all week and... As you were saying last week, we need to keep quiet about Kamara, and, and we haven't. And <laughs> I, I think we did. I think, as I mentioned earlier, the absence of McGinn is the real one here. If you don't have that extra body coming into the middle to give them another pass, it's it's easy to shut them out. But I mean, you mentioned the other goals. There were mistakes across the pitch for those goals. I think there's a reason Luca Dean was hooked at halftime. I think he was in the wrong place for a few of them. Tyrone Mings's marking for the Inacho header was awful, and so I think it's. It's not just all on, on camera, but he's probably the one who's most in the spotlight because his mistakes were, were most obvious. But but I think the whole team kind of was at fault. I think there's more mistakes in 90 minutes than we've seen in, in Emery's tenure. 
Yeah, definitely. It was it was certainly one of those. It it kind of reminded me a little bit of the Man United uh, Cup game. Mm-hmm. It was Emery's second game, and it was it was a mess, wasn't it? Obviously, at the back, you know, they didn't really know it was a second string defence. They didn't really know what they were doing, and good going forward, and you know, reasonably strong in midfield, but. You know, we, it was just kind of calamitous at the back, and we we gave it away as much as Man United winning that game, and that's certainly how it felt on Saturday as well. Um, you know, um, you know, four really, really sort of disappointing goals to concede. You know, from the other side, I guess Leicester would be saying, well, you know, they they created some good good chances. They took they took um, they took advantage of Villa's. Villa's errors, I suppose, and, and and put us under pressure and 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 took their goals well, and you know that's that that's the difference, I suppose, isn't it, between home and away fans in that in that moment? <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, I was on the train uh, train with a bunch of Leicester fans afterwards who were talking about playing us off the park, and I still maintain that I can't quite believe they scored four goals because I, I don't think they put much pressure on us. I think we we handed them the initiative every single time. And it's not just the, the nature of the goals, but the timing of the goals too. You you go 1-0 up, you you talk about keeping it tight for a few minutes, getting the, the crowd on side, and yet we concede you know, within minutes afterwards. And then you go 2-1 up and you talk about keeping it tight to a half-time and not conceding, and then you concede before half-time. But, but not just that, you concede a third before half-time too. And it's, they're really shameful times to score a goal because those are the times when you really need to show some backbone and, and kind of just get yourself into the break even if you haven't been at your best get yourself into the break and I think that's I can take individual errors I'm not not a problem with individual errors what worries me is is something you've described before as the kind of soft underbelly of this Villa team or, or the goals giveaway club as, as Craig calls it there's there are players that when they're having a bad day have a bad day there's no five out of ten six out of ten they they drop to a three and and I'm thinking the likes of Luca Dean and Tyra Mings, so much so I love him. I had one of those Tyra Mings days here. And I think that's the most obvious area for improvement in the side. You, you maybe put a better centre-back in there and and maybe start Marino from the start, even though he made a mistake at the end and, and you don't concede those goals before half-time and it's a completely different game. Yeah, that's, that, that, that is it. And, you know, I've said, I've talked before about my... Um, my my mistrust or distrust, I suppose, of of this squad generally, based on evidence going back to to obviously Dean Smith and 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 the way they capitulated and and let him down really. Um, obviously, with with Gerard, it was a, a two way thing. I don't think either Gerard didn't like the players and the players didn't like him, and it was never really gonna gonna work. But at the same time, I felt. There were times, and certainly that Fulham game, they they were devoid of any professional pride. Really, I think I think they were just they were kind of you know playing to get him get him the boot. Really, whatever they they might say about that, um, and we'd we'd seen that in, in other games as well. But that's kind of leads you to think, you know, and it's almost like you start to think, well, the transfer window's gone; mm-hmm. they're still there, you know. No one's come in to replace them. No one's come in to put them under pressure. Um, business as usual, lads. You know, let's let's just go out and you know give it till March, and then we'll like we'll get the flip flops on and start booking the holidays. And 
you know, it's just kind of, it, I don't know. I've just get, I just get a, a bit of a sour taste when we get these type of performances. But you have to think as well about the other side. You know, unbeaten in January, which is unheard mm-hmm. of for Villa, um, apart from Stevenage, of course. And um, and you know, things have been really, really good. It's just you know, performance like that, and you start you, you're reminded of what they've done in the past. These players. I think you're right, and we can't lose sight. Performances have been really good. This team has been vastly improved. We've we've been one of the form teams in the league. We had a bad day at the office, but if we're going to improve, you've you've got to have less bad days at the office. And I think there's a reason I, I love Tyrone Mings. He's a mid-table Premier League defender, and mid-table Premier League defenders have great games five out of six times, but there's always that one game where it goes wrong. And the same with other players in the team. And and whether it's a mentality thing, as you suggest, whether it's a talent thing, whether it's a case that Villa have been shopping for the wrong kind of characters for a while and we needed to to maybe aim a little bit lower in terms of talent, but a bit higher in terms of determination and professionalism. And I'm not sure what it is, but I think what Emery has done in the transfer window by not signing players is, is give this Villa squad enough rope to potentially hang themselves, for want of a better term. Like These players are going to play themselves out of the team, not play themselves into it. And I think it's going to be interesting to see that. And, and the Luca Dean hook at halftime, I think, is a, a real prime example of that. I don't know about you, Andy. I was going to ask you, do you think that game's different if, say, we'd signed a Gwendouzi or something? You know, a little bit of a nasty physical player, but I felt that game was tailor-made for. Or or someone, maybe another centre-back who's a bit more of a, a level head. Do you think we, we get a different result if we've upgraded positions? I think very possibly. I think I think what you want now is is to... what what The... the, the the operation in the summer in terms of transfers is going to be to get players who who fit the who fit the system who fit the style of play who can play out from the back so people like Tyra Mings and and Konza as as great as they are as much as we we appreciate them and 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 they've they've done a great job for Villa might be struggling um we're hope we're all hoping Diego Carlos comes back and 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 can can sort of fit into that into that way of playing as well as we 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 think he can. You know, obviously there's you know it's a big it's a big shout to come back from an injury like that, but hopefully he he can. So yeah, I think anyone who who Emery identifies as um, improving this team will improve the team. I, I think there's there's no doubt about that. I was very disappointed we didn't sign Gwendouzi. Mm-hmm. Um I'm really hoping we go back for him in the summer. Um I, I I guess he didn't fancy it or Marseille just weren't 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 happy to to do the deal, but it was um yeah, it was one that I really wanted because I think and I think we need that extra man in midfield as well. Uh whether it's coming off the right or the left just to help and but you know I think I think I think McGinn can do it. Um I think you could play Dendonka in there as well and and play him a bit deeper and, and push push Douglas Louise uh forward a bit. So you know there, there's there's options there but undoubtedly um yeah the more the more signings that come the more new players that come in or or players from the academy that he identifies as being up to it the better things will be. 
Um, undoubtedly, and I'm, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure a game like this is, is different. Because um, we are playing with, with Dean Smith's and and Gerard's team, you know, it's it's, it's there's there's no question about it. Um, so um, so yeah, but of course, one of those uh, Gerard players you, you mentioned was who was taken off at half time, which seemed like a big shout. Um, was was Luca Dean? We said it was a bit of a bit of a interesting one that he started the game because he he had had such a nasty looking injury really, and he's come back really quick. Um, he was. He. I thought he was pretty good going forward. He had. He played his part in the second goal, which um, which was good. He. He always looks. I think more comfortable in 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 forward areas. Um, but there was that suggestion that he he let Iheanacho go at the far post for the for their second goal, and perhaps that was just too much for for Emery really. Um, obviously, we don't know if Dean was was taken off because he was he was struggling with his shoulder maybe, but Emery. Does does not seem overly convinced that Dean is the man to fill that left back spot. spot um, in my opinion, um, is he one? Do you think that could could struggle to keep his place going forward now? Yeah, I I think that's maybe the the nail in the coffin for him. I kind of I, looking back at the highlights, he was a he was badly positioned for two of the Leicester goals, but but more than that, I think going forwards is where he he doesn't fit with his Villa team. I mean, Gerard brought him because he could cross the ball and Gerard thought if you put enough crosses in, it's the Moyes tactic at United, you put enough crosses in, one will eventually go in. But Emery doesn't seem to like his teams to cross the ball. I mean, he, he doesn't, I've not really seen that at Villa since he's come in. And and I had a little dig back through the, the stats for his Villarreal team and they, they were one of the lowest crosses of the ball in La Liga. So, so he clearly doesn't want his fullback to cross it. And I thought... The difference in the second half when we got Alex Moreno on was was palpable. I mean, obviously Moreno was at fault for the fourth goal. It was a horrible bit of defending. Um, but I thought he was great going forwards. He, he was electric pace-wise. A lot of our, our chances came down that left-hand side. And, and by overlapping, I thought he, he was a real danger man. And, and I think that's where he's different to Luca Dean. He's got a turn of pace about him and he, he's comfortable carrying the ball. Whereas I think Luca Dean wants to ping it about a bit and get in the position to cross it. And I think it's, they're both attacking fullbacks, but in slightly different ways. And I just think we suit the Alex Marino kind of style better. And I think that suits this team better. And it wouldn't surprise me for that to be Luca Dean's last start for a while, if both of them are fit, because I think defending aside, which I know is a big thing for a fullback, they, they need to defend. I thought Marino was, was impressive that second half. Yeah, I suppose I suppose the only um the only issue with that would be obviously going to Man City and then Arsenal coming to Villa Park. It's it's a it's a big shout for Moreno, but I've been really impressed and like you mm. say, I thought second half um we looked so much better down that side going forward. Um the mistake for the goal can happen to anyone. Um I think, you know, it's just one of them. It's just, you know, it's yeah. just one. I Especially think, when I you're think... chasing the game at that point, isn't it? Like you almost, when you're down, down by that goal and you're trying to, to level up late in the game, you know, if you score the equaliser, great, but more often than not, it goes the other way and, and you end mm-hmm. up going two down. So I can, I can yeah. kind of forgive him a bit, but it looked horrible, didn't it? Yeah, it, it was a bad one and a bad time as well. And, but I just, it's, I always worry when, when players are, subbed at half time 
particularly if they have made a mistake or be deemed to perhaps be be at fault for a goal because you kind of think well the manager's spotted that and they they they're not prepared to give you give you another chance and um there is obviously the caveat that he might have been um he might have been struggling with with with, with his injury still but um I don't know what to make of him. I really like Dean as a player. I think he's a very talented player. He's obviously, you know, he had a great couple of years at Everton with with Ancelotti. Um, Very excited when we signed him, even though there were question marks about the price tag and the the age um, of the player. Of course, they're the same age, aren't they, Moreno and, and and Dean? Dean was was about ten million more expensive, though, and uh, you know it's 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 kind of um, it feels like another another Gerard signing, which is is kind of that we that that we're struggling with. Really, it was one of those. It was a, a bit of a snap decision to take him from Everton. Um, had it been two or three days later, I don't think it would have. It would have happened because Benitez was was out the door, not long after, um, and he was the pl- he was the manager that Dean had fallen out with. Um, so I don't know. I don't know whether we've seen the last as such, but certainly I think we need to promote the interest. I think of Moreno over the next few weeks and and really get him up to speed properly with the with with the Premier League. And sometimes you have to. Um, you know, sometimes it's kill or cure, isn't it? And you have to play against the best, the best players and the best teams, and that's what players want. They don't want to be hidden from that, do they? So, I'd probably um, suggest that Moreno now will will start the next few. I think so. And and look, he's played against the best. He's lined up against Barcelona and Real Madrid and Atleti. So so he's used to those big games. I mean, on, on the Luca Dean thing, I, I was never a fan of the, the sign-in. It didn't feel right to me. It felt like we were, were getting a player who was past his best. He, he'd peaked for a couple of years. And it's interesting you saying about him and Moreno being the same age. You wouldn't think of it to look at him on the pitch. You'd think Luca Dean is five, six years older. He he just looks like he's done, you know, the legs have gone maybe or, or one injury too many, or maybe he just doesn't like it in Birmingham. Like he just doesn't seem to put himself around as much. He doesn't run as much. And I thought it was so different in the second half, the, the willingness of Marina to get up and overlap on the left and, and the pace of him. I think he cut a couple back in the area for, for maybe Coutinho. I can't remember, but just the pace of him to get up there. I thought he, he was a real threat. And I can't imagine Luca Dean running that fast, let alone sweating that hard to get up there. But that's maybe my bias of not liking him being in there. But he always looks as well. I mean, this isn't a thing to judge football players on, but his hair never looks out of place after a game, Luca Dean. Either he's got fantastic product in there or he hasn't worked hard enough. Well, there's no point asking me for comments about uh, <laughs> about hair. <laughs> it's a long time since I, I needed any product, um, for sure. Um, but uh, I, I, so I wouldn't know about that. He's he looks like he's got a good head of hair to me, and uh, you know I'm sure he's very proud of it. But um, yeah, that's the thing with Moreno. It it, it looks effortless as well, doesn't mm-hmm. it? You know he's he's up and down, but he doesn't look like he's he's busting a gut. I've I've noticed on on occasions on the other side with with Matty Cash, if he if he if he if he kind of makes a, a sort of a lung busting run forward, he can't get back. You know, he's he's stuck then. Um whereas Moreno's kind of quite kind of 
just trots up and down. He's he, he looks very comfortable, um, and I think uh, I think he's ready. I think he's 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 an intelligent footballer as well. And yeah, bad mistake, but you know, I think I think he's he's not the first Aston Villa defender to make a mistake that leads to a goal. So no, and I think his pace is the big thing here. He's it's mad to think that he's twenty nine. So he doesn't play like a twenty nine year old, but he's got pace, and that'll cover a lot of deficiencies as a fullback. You see it with Kyle Walker for England and Man City. His pace gets him out of so many problems. And I think Ashley Cole was the same when his his kind of Arsenal Chelsea heyday is you can get forwards and even if you mess up, you've got the pace to get back ahead of an attacker. And I think Moreno has got proper winger pace, like he's rapid. And I think that that even if he's not the best defender in the world, that pace is gonna gonna cover us more often than not. Whereas Whereas maybe Luca Dean doesn't have that that gear to go into if he makes a mistake going forwards or we get caught out going forwards. He doesn't have that gear to get into getting back. And as you say, it's it's. I mean, Ashley Young definitely doesn't have it anymore. And and I think Matty Cash, for for all of his his hard work, doesn't have that much pace to him either. And I think as a Villa team, we're quite one speed. So so the more pace he goes, we can get in there, the better for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but whilst we're talking about um. Steven Gerrard January signings. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's talk about Coutinho because he replaced uh, Jacob Ramsey at half time and was quite influential. Really, I thought in the second half he created some 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 opportunities at least for for Villa to try and get back in the game. Um, he was also denied an equaliser at a crucial time, uh, which would have made it three uh, three. I think Douglas Luiz was was offside. Um, it's quite interesting to see, really, if Emery can find a role for Coutinho between now and the end of the season. There have been some rumours that he might have been on his way back to Turkey or uh, sorry, back to Brazil or or, or to Turkey. Um, you know, obviously it could could still be on the cards, but it seems seems unlikely now. So, what do you think next for Philip Coutinho? And where do you and were you at, at, at all encouraged by? his performance in the second half on Saturday? I mean, it's his best performance in a Villa shirt for a while. I mean, it was a bit of a cameo, but his best performance. It's a shame the goal didn't stand. Criminal of Dougie to be offside from the, the second ball from a from a corner, I think it was. He's looking along the line there. He shouldn't be offside. But um, I thought Coutinho was great. He was tidy. He was good in possession. And I think that's the best position he can play for us. He needs to be away from the from the fight that goes on in midfield all too often. It, I think it's a little bit too tight in there for him, a little bit too physical. And and when he plays off the striker, he's naturally got a bit more space there. And I mean, we've seen throughout the years in the Premier League, you have a decent creative player who drops into that hole and they can, can wreak havoc no matter how old they are. Um, so, I I mean, given, given Leon Bailey's form, I wouldn't mind seeing him start there for us against Man City. But does that mean he will start there for us? I'm not sure. I... I think the transfer window is still open in Turkey, isn't it? And I really wouldn't be surprised if if Coutinho goes. He's he's looking more and more every week that goes by like an expensive mistake. One of many expensive mistakes that Steven Gerrard made. It's it just seems like a, a crazy sign in now. And even if he was playing fantastically and we could bring him on in the second half, we didn't spend all that money and and are paying him north of a hundred grand a week to, to come off the bench and give us thirty good minutes. He's He's got to do a lot more than that, unfortunately. But, I mean, look, I'd, I'd love Coutinho to succeed. I'd love nothing more. I was, I was excited about the signing, didn't understand it, but I was excited about it. 
I wish he could maybe recapture that magic, but I, I, and he's another player like Luca Dean that I think's maybe just gone a little bit physically, and we're finding out that, that the Premier League's moved on and and they haven't unfortunately. But but look, I, I know nothing. I've, I've made ridiculous statements on this podcast before, and hopefully next week after a sensational game or something, I'm, I've made another one and, and continues back. I'm just not sure. Not sure if I see it. I think I think the thing is that if if a if a player is at the club, um, obviously he could he could move, and you you kind of think well f- fair fair play, and I'd rather him go sort of permanently than one of these. If if we're going to be paying his wages, I'd rather have him on our bench than 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 over in Turkey or Brazil. So, um, but I just I I just wonder you. you you always wonder with a player who's of that of that quality, at that who's been at that level, could you just get a couple of months worth of quality out of him um, in a, in you know in some way in some sort of position, um, you know that just that where it just clicks, you know, for, for a couple of months, you know, and maybe maybe move us two or three places up the league table as a result. It's possible, isn't it? I've always said there's, that we've always had this Coutinho versus Buendia um, discussion. You know, th- there's no there's no question of Buendia losing his place. I think to Coutinho now. I think he might he could well lose his place to someone else, but not to Coutinho. But I just wonder whether you know he's. You know, I always say he's, he's Coutinho's got a higher ceiling than any. Any of the Villa players, including Buendia, and if you could just, just plug him in and just get him, get him firing, um, for a little while at least, you know, it could, it could, it could turn out to be, you know, that we get we get the seventeen million pound worth out of him, um, and he can go off to back to Brazil in the summer and, you know, and uh, and 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 sort of get on with his. You know his twilight years. <laughs> I suppose he's only thirty, but you know. I applaud yeah. your optimism, Andy, and I wish I could feel the same thing. I just, I think, and I wrote about this on the site earlier in the year. I think the problem with the Gerard signings, I'm talking about Coutinho, Luca Dean, and uh, Danny Ings, who wasn't a Gerard signing, but I, I think I kind of lump him with it. Is it's not just the transfer fees we paid for them; it's the wages, and I think if they're not performing let alone as finding someone to take them on. Finding someone who will take on their entire paycheck is going to be difficult. And I think we're probably, even if we move Luca Dean and, and Philip Coutinho on, we're going to be paying a portion of their wages for quite a long time to come because they're not going to want to take a pay cut to move to you know Turkey or Brazil or wherever it is. And I think that's the biggest problem of those signings, this kind of era of buy now success, is, is when it's not successful, you're, you're paying for it. And I feel like... We've got this these sports cars tucked away in the garage that we're desperately trying to get working again, but we just can't get them working. And at some point, we have to give up the ghost and take them to the scrap heap. And and maybe I'm being too harsh on both of them, but I think that's that times maybe come. And and we were lucky to get out of the Danny Ings deal and and ship him off to West Ham. And I think if anyone's willing to give us anything for Coutinho, probably now you cut your losses and take it. But it's a shame because he's such a talented player. And when he first came in, we saw moments of that brilliance. But I can't remember the last time he had a good a good game. And, and even now, we're, 
you know, we're, we're living off crumbs of a bit part performance against Leicester when we were throwing everything at them. I just, I, it's just such a shame because I wanted him to do well for us. I, I just can't see how he fits into this team anymore. I think I would just like to see him do one of those Coutinho special super dipper from 25 yards, you know, from into the, into the, into the, uh, into where the owl sleeps and the, and just and just and just kind of just experience that that moment that Phil classic Phil Coutinho moment I think I think I'd, as a fan I'd love to see that and you know I think as you get towards this stage of the season and you know there's not an awful lot to play for you sort of look for those little moments don't you that that you're going to remember and 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 that would certainly that would certainly cheer everyone up a bit I think oh, if we yeah. could get some I, I mean I'd be on board for seeing that and I've, I think he's attempted it a fair few times in the yeah. Stevenage game alone he had about 10 attempts of it and, and look Emery isn't averse to bringing through a, a player who's perhaps had their best days and wringing every last drop out of them I think at Villarreal he had I think it's Parejo the midfielder who was in his mid-30s and he wrung, wrung everything he could out of him made him into a really effective midfielder so I don't think that, that Coutinho's days are necessarily numbered just because he's older or not as physically up to it. And I think Emery could find a role for him. I just, it just doesn't seem to be there. The magic just doesn't seem to be in his boots anymore. And and as you say, if, if we haven't seen a Coutinho special against Stevenage, maybe, maybe we're not going to see one at all from him. Well, I hope you're wrong, and I, I hope for the. So do the, I. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I hope for the fan base as well, that large, because you know we need to talk about the supporters. Um, a lot has quite a lot's been said, really, hasn't it, about um, about the fans uh, recently, about the atmosphere at Villa Park or lack of it. Um, bit of a disconnect between the, the online fans and the fans in the ground as well. Um, Online fans obviously very quick to quick to question and criticise the club at every at every turn really, including Emery at times and his and his tactics, the playing out from the back and things like that. People are questioning everything really. Um, on Saturday we had we had booing at half time. We had fans leaving early again, which seems to happen increasingly. You know, we're getting to the end of the games and. You know the the stands are half half empty. Um, it doesn't seem to take much, does it, for the for the fans to become disgruntled, um, both in the ground and online. Um, but given the relative stability of the club and you know strong recent performances from the team and the manager, you know what do you put this dissatisfaction down to? And and is is any of it kind of justifiable at the moment? It's an interesting one, isn't it? I feel like I'm in a tricky position with this. I'm not exactly a regular at Villa Park, and it's it becomes a tricky one. Is is can you criticise people who pay their money and go week in week out to support the team? And I was actually chatting to you about this before the game, Andy, and we were talking about how different it is to be a fan inside the ground and and watching at home or or from a different continent as Craig does. It's it's really interesting to see how different people react differently to a game, and it's I I've got two thoughts on this. One is as Villa fans, are we ever going to be happy? We could be chasing the title and, and losing it with a last-minute goal to City or something, and we'd still probably be complaining about how classic Villa that was, that, that we couldn't win the title in Emery's second season or something ridiculous. So part of it, I think, is we're, we're just one of those fan bases who 
we haven't had much success in in my lifetime. I think we're just used to being grumpy about our team, and and even when the team's playing well, like they are at the moment, we're we're naturally emotional and we get a bit grumpy about it. But the other thing is, and I, I ended up in a bit of a Twitter conversation about this, is I think it's reflective of the world at large. Like it's, I mean, it's a pretty grim place to live at the moment. Not to bring the tone down after a forty years, <laughs> but I mean, there's strikes everywhere. There's a cost of living crisis. We're we're run countries run by a bunch of clowns. Like it's not an, a happy place to be at the moment, the UK or or the rest of the world. And I think that naturally bleeds itself into the football ground if you're. If you're disappointed in life and you're having a rough time in life, football's where you go to escape it. It's where you go to, to, you know, have a laugh with some friends, to celebrate something for once, to feel a little bit of joy. And and I think naturally those emotions come out at a football game. All the anger you've got to other parts of your life or other parts of society come out at a football game. And I think maybe there's a bit of that that we're seeing there. It's it's just a little bit of people are, are naturally and understandably a bit discontented in life at the moment a bit fed up and so when when the team that you love and you pour so much time and energy and money into does something wrong you feel feel like you can have a moan at them but I don't know maybe I'm just being a bit too high-minded on this and it's just a case of Villa fans are annoyed because they've paid good money to watch their team give away easy goals but but I mean you're you're more of a regular than me Andy and I know you're a stalwart you don't leave early uh, <laughs> you, you you support the team but then when you leave the WhatsApp goes crazy with your thoughts on it but um but what do you think is it it's is it something that's been creeping in for a while is it a relatively new phenomenon well, I felt a bit a bit sorry for for my mate James and Stuart and Rich next to me on Saturday because I was in a bit of a bad mood with the whole thing but um yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think part of it is is obviously, we, you know, tickets have, to to go and watch Villa have never been more expensive, um, you know. And I think having gone up, have the, the prices have gone up last season. You know, there was kind of there's always this promise, isn't there, of continuous improvement from from the club, which I think, you know, there are different ways to measure the improvement of a football club. On the field is the obvious one, but it's not all about that. You know, there, there are other areas as well where, you know, the club is improving all the time um, and becoming stronger and becoming more stable. Um, and I think, I don't know, I think um, I think if people feel like, that, you know, they're paying for something and not getting value in return in any walk of life, in any any area of the entertainment industry or 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 whatever um they're going to be unhappy now the issue with that is you're not paying when you pay for a ticket you don't pay for entertainment you don't pay for a certain amount of goals you don't pay for a win you don't pay for the team to play in the style that you want you pay for entry into the ground and that that that's it really and you know, it's 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 a sports match. It it's there. You know, football essentially exists, and it's becoming more of an industry, an entertainment industry, and becoming more of a product in that regard. But essentially, football um, was brought about and exists for the for the competitors, for the people on the field, and for the. That, you know, and and what they're trying to do is beat the opposition. Doesn't have to be, you know, in the way that 
people want. And I think I think this is part of the part of the problem. People feel that, you know, you know, when the team lose or they don't play well, like they've been shortchanged and it's not really like that. It's it's it's, a, it's it is a bit of a strange one. Jack, I saw um and again another another really good sort of newsletter from James Rushton, the the House of V. Um, go and sign up to that if you haven't already. But he was saying a, a, about this that people are going to games and just feel it's they just seem miserable, you know. And maybe I was one of those people on Saturday, and I apologise to the people you were around. In the cheery me. mood as we, we climbed <laughs> up your your good luck route up the steps at the hole. I thought you were in, in a good mood. Oh, before the game, sure. But I think at the end of the game or towards <laughs> the end of the game, and I kind of sit there belligerently in my seat complaining about people leaving early. Um, you know, I don't know whether that's a good thing either, but it's making that point that, you know, it seems that people are, you know, that there are maybe a lot of people going that don't really want to be doing it anymore, but the reason they're doing it is because they've got a season ticket and if they stop going, it might be years before they get the opportunity to, to have a season ticket again. And, and that's kind of the downside of having a waiting list for season tickets, I think. You're right. And I think your point about entertainment's bang on. Is, is football these days is packaged up as entertainment. You watch any Sky advert and it's it's like a blockbuster movie release. It, it's dramatic music, dramatic voiceovers. It's, it's packaged for an audience who possibly aren't at the games. And so when you're not at the games, you you kind of expect to be entertained. And, and it's... I don't know, it's a tough one because for me, the joy of going to the football is the fans almost. I can I get a worse experience of the game on the pitch. I can I can barely see with my eyesight what's going on <laughs> on the pitch, unlike I can at home on the TV. But it's great. You're around people who are, you're all there for a shared experience. As I say, I ended up arm in arm, jumping up and down, hugging a random guy next to me who I've never met in my life before when Ollie Watkins goal went in, kind of met you and a bunch of your friends before the game and, and had a good catch-up. And for me, that's the good part of the game. But but at north of 39 quid for a ticket, that's an expensive catch-up with strangers or an expensive get-together with friends. So I think you're right. It's, we expect for that money entertainment, but football just doesn't work like that. It's I mean, even City have had their problems this year with fans booing. It's, and Pep called them out on it. And, and not that City are the comparison, but... You'd expect a team that's won that many trophies, the fans would be quite happy by now, but they're not. And it's, I think it's a problem with football as a whole, and I don't really know how to fix it. I think we were, we we were going through a similar thing before we appointed Dean Smith, and Dean Smith's biggest achievement was reconnecting the fans to the club. But his departure in that kind of grisly, unceremonious style that it was, and the awfulness of the Jarrett era. I mean, it's just a. A, a block mark on our checkbook but it's I, I just I think the club have, have undone the good work that Dean Smith did and I think what worries me is Emery's team I think Emery's great I like him I like his approach to things I think his team are good to watch but off of the pitch there's a lot of stuff happening that's going to take the atmosphere I mean we we probably given that we've recorded for as long as we have shouldn't get onto who Villa's sponsor might be next year because that's another issue you kind of if you feel like the soul of your club's gone and they're doing some kind of nasty deals with companies you don't really believe in as well, you start to really question why you're giving them your money after a while. And I think that's what it comes down to at the end of the day is it comes down to money. I think if it was cheaper to go to a game, we'd probably all be a bit be in a bit of better mood about it, even if we haven't won. 
that we all just feel a little bit like we're being taken advantage of by by a club that that maybe aren't reflecting back to us what we give them as a fan base. Yeah, possibly. And I think I think I I wonder whether you you asked earlier about would it be different if if would the game have been different if we'd assigned Gwen Doozy or or someone? And I think what's different is the atmosphere when you have a new player in the team and it doesn't last it lasts a couple of weeks doesn't it when you know you welcome them in and you watch them and you get behind them and then they just become part of the team then um but i think there is a sense maybe that the problem with having a bit of a blank um january window is that okay so we're not signing anyone so we're happy with this we sold a striker we so we could let a few players go. So so what you what they're saying is, it's another write off. We could we could sign a couple of players and really go hard for a European place, um, but we're just happy to to not you know and write another season off and try again next year. So then fans think, well, okay, so it's kind of a case of the club have got their flip flops on. <laughs> it's not just the players, and you know maybe that. Maybe that plays into it a little bit. Not that I would. I, I think we should sign players, you know, to 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 necessarily keep fans happy. You sign players to to try and improve the team, don't you? And that then hopefully makes the fans happy. But you know, I I just wonder whether that feeds into that apathy a little bit. Yeah, and I, I think it's. I was just actually thinking as you were talking. Then, as a fan in Villa Park. You haven't had a chance to to enjoy the good times for a little while. I think not since the promotion season, because because that great season under Dean Smith, where we finished mid table, was behind closed doors. You didn't get to partake in that. You didn't get to enjoy the ride of that. So really, as Villa fans, since that promotion season, we've been presiding over relegation battles or seasons where we've changed managers and and you know it's a write off, as you say. So we've not had much to cheer for a long time. We've not had a cup run really we've not had a a great season unless it's been behind closed doors so um i think the solution to the problem is is to start winning a few more games and to not to not change manager this time next year but outside of that i think if this continues the club are gonna have to seriously have a look at how they're fostering the fan base and how they're engaging with it because because something's disconnecting there but one thing i would say about the fans I saw some criticism of the owners on Twitter the other day or on other social media platforms, which is laughable. If anyone thinks we've got bad owners, need to only look at where the club was, that that failed playoff run and when we almost went out of business. Like uh, we, We've got good owners at the club and, and compared to a lot of teams in the league, we're lucky to have who we have and, and they put their money where their mouth is constantly. Yeah, I think a lot of clubs, even in the Premier League, would be very happy to have, have our owners, wouldn't they? And you know, look. You don't have to go far down the road just to uh, to Small Heath to see what the, the problems they're going through in terms of in terms of their owners. You know, I don't know if they even know who their owners are. You know, they're certainly not present. So, um, you know, it's uh, we're okay. You know, we're we're okay. We're in a stable place, and maybe we should just try and go and enjoy the enjoy the football <laughs> and, and not worry try. not worry too much about it. Um, in future, but the good news is um, that uh, on Sunday um, we go and play Manchester City um, at the Etihad, um, 
and news of accusations of financial wrong, wrongdoings um, by Manchester City over a sort of 10 or 15 year period have, have emerged just in time to make them really angry for Aston Villa's visit <laughs> on Sunday <laughs> afternoon. Um, they're having a fairly unconvincing season by their high standards, despite the extraordinary goal-scoring performance of Erling Haaland. Um, and on the back of a 1-0 defeat to Tottenham last weekend as well. Villa produced an accomplished performance in the reverse fixture, led by Ashley Young's heroics, of course, and Villa got the 1-1 draw that day, thanks to a Leon Bailey equaliser. But of course, last time at Man City, Villa gifted Grealish his first league title, um, choking on that two-goal lead to lose 3-2 on the last day of last season. Um this seems like an almost impossible task after last weekend's showing and the fact that Man City have got all these problems and have just lost a match as well. Um, but can we nick something and, and how should Emery approach this game, do you think? I think we can nick something. I'm feeling quite positive about this. It's, it's because I'm on my new newfound bent of positivity, Andy. I'm feeling uplifted by the, the prospect of playing Man City away. I in all seriousness, no, I think this, this fixture maybe suits us. We we look better away from home at the moment, whether that's because of because of the aforementioned atmosphere at Villa Park or because Emery knows how to shut up shop, he knows how to defend and and I expect us to to play this one very similar to how we did the, the Spurs game away, that that six two two that we played there, which which was incredibly effective and, and judging by City's weekend performance could be effective again here because they don't seem like they're feeding Erling Haaland the way he wants to be fed at the moment. And I think if ever there's a time to play City, maybe it's now. But, but as you say, you never know. They could be a wounded beast. The prospect of, of Jack Grealish having his title taken away from him because of their financial wrongdoings might spur him into action. Or, or maybe Pep will do his old pet roulette again and we'll drop half the team and play players we've never heard of. You, you never really know. But but I do know and I do think that Unai Emery is, is the right man to, to manage these games. I think these big games is where he's going to really earn his, his coin for us. And, and I quite fancy us. I don't think it'll be a good one to watch, not by any stretch of the imagination, but... But I fancy us to get a result. Maybe that's am I am I crazy, Andy? Am I <laughs> am I drunk on success? What's happened? Well, no, I don't think you're crazy. I think um, you've said before, haven't you, that you know the the default reaction is to is to is to think we've we've lost this we've lost these games against City, Arsenal, Man United, etc. You know we write these games off normally, don't we? But now we have a manager who can actually plan for these games and, and set up a team specifically to, to, to take on these teams. Now, if, if Man City are on form, if Erling Haaland's on form mm-hmm. and he, he sticks a couple of goals away, then the chances are we're going to lose the game. But, I you know, I, I do think, you know, that there is a way of beating Man City. There's a way of, of, of stopping the supply line um, to Haaland. You know, it might even be a game that they they leave him out. You know, because they might they might prefer that. They might think they've got a, almost a better chance of just resetting things a little bit and giving him a bit of a rest. But I doubt it. But um, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that that might be an option. But I do think I do think you're right. I think I think with Emery we do have that that quality, and I, I'd be bringing McGinn back into that midfield. Um, I, I'd 
you know, have have Buendia on the on on the left hand side cutting in. You know, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's the game to to have Coutinho. He scored up there last season, a really good goal. Um, you know, maybe you bring him in behind Ollie Watkins. You know, just to see if he can create something or or or, or produce one of his his special moments. So, you know, we, we'll see. Um, you know, it's 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 a, it's a tricky one, but I certainly think that midfield needs needs bolstering, and I think McGinn coming back does that for us. Um, and like you say, it's going to be it might be a long afternoon. Uh, Man City passing the ball around in front of us for for a long time, and you know, just so long as Jack Grealish doesn't score, I think that's the <laughs> that's the main thing, isn't it? Really, I agree. I agree, <laughs> and I think you're right. I think this is a game tailor made for McGinn on out wide and I'd probably play Ramsey and McGinn in those wide positions because we they are going to be defending mm. more than they're attacking and and then maybe put Buendia further forwards. I, I, I wouldn't fancy Leon Bailey in this game even though he's got the pace on the counter but yeah I, mean, it, I think it'll be a long afternoon I mean that Spurs game was not fun to watch but it was effective and and that's kind of what I'm hoping from this one it's kind of I'll be sat there frustrated watching it on TV, but but the end of the ninety minutes, I'll I'll have a smile on my face, especially as the Etihad's just round the corner from me. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You'll be able to listen out of your your balcony or your 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 back window, won't you? And... I might sneak into the homestand. I still haven't decided yet. There's, there's <laughs> bound to be plenty of tickets available, but uh, it's whether I can keep myself under control and in uh, in the city end and and watch the game is the question. Yeah, absolutely, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Worth worth a go. I'd certainly find out where the Villa fans are drinking before and uh, and go and join them for a, a couple well, of. I pints. suspect I might be able to do that. And it's, <laughs> that's the least I can probably do. <laughs> but um, okay, do you do you want to do you want to give me a, a a quick prediction? I'm going. I'm going to stick with my positivity. I'm going for a spirited Villa win. I think two one Villa. Blimey. Okay, that's that's very positive, isn't it? I'm not going to quite go that positive. I never predict Villa to to lose, um, so I'm going to go. For, I'm going to go for one one. I just I feel like we'll, we'll match our result earlier in the season. Um, I think that performance will will have given the players confidence. You know, they'll mm. they'll feel that you know they can they can manage some of the threats that that Man City pose. Um, they were certainly in much better form. Uh, when we played them last times, and we were in worse form, so um, there's there's a chance, isn't there? And you know, I'm yeah, I'll go one one. I'll go one one. Um, Ollie Watkins to to get another one uh, to make it three and three. So um, we'll we'll be happy with that. Um, but thanks for joining me, Dan. Great to catch up again after uh, after the weekend as well. It was uh, you know certainly a, a good day prior to the football on Saturday. <laughs> um, and thanks to everyone for listening. Obviously, head over to underagaslitlamp.com and check out the website over there or give us a follow on the socials on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Um, and get your notifications on for the, the, the podcast if you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, etc. Wherever you get your podcasts, you'll get a notification when the shows are um, are out and ready to listen to. So um so so check that out if you can. Um if you're going to Man City, obviously have a great day. Um and we'll be back next week to review the game and look ahead to the Arsenal match. But until then, stay safe and up the villa. <laughs>